where, where they are. They might be supporting their uh, global operations, but they don't necessarily uh, hire a lot of foreign talent either. Uh, so for multinational companies, uh, if they bring any foreign executives to Taiwan, again, typically it's to support the Taiwan business, and then the need for foreign talent has shrunk over the years as the local talent pool uh, has increased its skills substantially. Uh, tax rates are relatively high here as well. Uh, traditionally, Taiwan has also needed to fill labor needs uh, on the blue-collar side uh, uh, in factories, uh, even in agriculture, uh, and there's many hundreds of thousands of workers from Southeast Asia here. Uh, they'll probably continue to do that, but whether they'll actually attract a lot of white-collar talent, uh, they'll, they'll always be competing for some with some of the other locations around the region. Okay, Ross, sadly we've run out of time, but thank you very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Sapro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, the SX200 in Australia up about 0.4%. Nikkei 225 moving further ahead in Japan up 1.6%. Over in Seoul, the Cosby up 0.4%. And futures markets indicating a gain of about 30 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for the final Money Talk of the Week. Back chat is coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast. Sunny periods, one or two showers. Hot during the day, maximum temperature about 32 degrees. And there's going to be sunny intervals and a few showers on the Mid-Autumn Festival. And the temperature right now, 29 degrees, 75% relative humidity. Mine's 8.31. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Government officials will inspect cranes at all construction sites across Hong Kong after a tower crane collapsed yesterday, killing three people and injuring six others. It came down on top of several containers that served as makeshift offices at a housing society construction site on Anderson Road. The Secretary for Labor and Welfare, Chris Sun, announced that all the use of all cranes at the Sama Ping site was being suspended. We are going to issue a suspension order to stop the work of the three tower cranes in this construction site. The order will be enforced until a proof is given to the Labor Department that they are safe to operate once again. So there is no time limit to the suspension order. An investigation is underway into what caused the accident. Chief Executive John Lee expressed concern about the tragedy and extended his condolences to the victims and their families. President Putin has said sanctions imposed on Russia represent the biggest current threat to the world economy, but he said they were not working and it was impossible to isolate his country. Mr. Putin told the Far East Economic Forum that Asia was rising just as the West was falling. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg was listening to his speech. From President Putin, there were threats too to the West. Russia, he said, would stop supplying oil, gas, every kind of fuel if Western nations went ahead with plans for a price cap on Russian energy exports. In his standoff with the West, energy is Vladimir Putin's trump card. He knows how reliant Europe is on Russian fuel. His calculation is that to avoid freezing, Europe will eventually capitulate and ease sanctions on Russia. The Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro, has said opinion polls suggesting he will lose next month's election are a lie. In a speech in Brasilia to mark 200 years since independence, Mr. Bolsonaro described the party led by his challenger, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, as evil. Sabemos que temos pela frente. 
We know that we have a fight between good and evil ahead of us. The evil that lasted for 14 years in our country, that almost broke our homeland and now wants to come back to the crime scene. They won't. The people are by our side. The people are on the side of good. The people know what they want. Mr. Bolsonaro's comments have renewed concerns that he will not accept the results if he loses the election in October. At least 32 people are now known to have died in a fire at a karaoke bar in southern Vietnam. The search for victims at the scene has ended. The blaze engulfed two floors of the building in Chuan An City, trapping customers and staff. Some of them were stuck on balconies and are reported to have tried to jump to safety. Vietnam's Prime Minister Pham Minh Chan has ordered an investigation. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. Good morning and today we're talking about youth crime. Police figures show a rise in the number of teens caught up in serious drug offences and generally more young people are getting arrested overall. For example, 430 people between the ages of 10 and 20 were arrested on drug charges in 2021, a jump of 35% over the previous year. What's more, Police Commissioner Raymond Sioux says the number of suspects, those in those cases who are 16 or younger, has doubled. There's also been an increase in the number of triad-related arrests among local teens. So why are more young people getting caught up in crime and what can be done to reverse this trend? After 9.15, we'll look at the Ping crane collapse that killed three construction workers and injured six others. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can also email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us, of course, and our number is 2338-8266. That's 2338-8266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we're joined on the line by Sky Sue, the Executive Director of Kelly Support Group, and Sam Sito, the team leader of the Hong Kong Playground Association's Yaoqimong District Youth Outreaching Social Work Team. Good morning, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Miss um, Sue, first of all, um, what do you think of the figures? I mean, it, it, are, they, are they surprising to you? Uh, thank you so much for having us. Um, you know, it, honestly, it's not that surprising. Um, we have been observing that young people are always um, a target for a lot of these drug drug crime rings um, to really push uh, drugs within their own community. Uh, we know that because young people are very much influenced by their peers, both in the positive and sometimes in a negative way. Um, this would be an example of you know um, people having a strategy to to, to leverage on young people's positive and, and negative influence on each other to really try and do this. So, you know, it's not something that's new, to be very honest. Um, we've always known that this is a possibility and we've known that, that it is happening. Um, it is, it is, you know, it, it, it is something that we have seen uh, quite a lot of. So um, this is something that, you know, doesn't come as a surprise to us. Yeah, but I think uh, it's the age of the people involved that's alarming. 430 aged between 10 and 20 years. We're talking about 12 and 13-year-old. How are these gangs reaching out to these younger group? Yeah, so I think one of the things that, you know, we, we recognize is that, you know, the last two years, everyone has sort of moved online. 
you know, and, you know, before, you know, the way that they would be reached would be, you know, in school compounds, in playgrounds, you know, in public areas where they would get approached. Whereas now, you don't really need to physically be in the space. So it means that the ability to reach young people of all ages, including those that are much younger, as long as they're online, then they're able to reach them. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, um, really has unfortunately facilitated that. Um, but I think the bigger question here really is about why young people, younger and younger, are actually wanting to respond to such requests, you know? Um, why are they so, like, in a vulnerable place enough that they would actually accept a request like this? Um, and that's something that we are most concerned about at this moment. All right. M- Mr. Sito, what's your assessment? Uh, what do you think are the reasons behind this uh, increase? Mm-hmm. Uh, in our district, uh, Yaomate, Jimsasho and Longkou, actually it is used to be a very popular spot for our youth gangs to hang out. And our social workers are very easy to reach them before. But now, because of, as we still also said, the COVID com- comes and social distance measures. Actually, the youth gangs become more hidden in these few years. They turn to the perfect spots like a hotel and their pattern yet yeah, goes online. But I think the child society uh, recruit their members more easily through online nowadays and their illegal behaviors remain very active uh, among the newly recruited teenagers, such as the teenagers will uh, collect the debt illegally and some will go for drug trafficking. And we observe the ages are getting younger. Some existing cases in our team have close contact with child members when they were in primary school around age around 10 years old. They admire the child culture and feel safe as one of the members. Uh, and also we observe the drug abuse issue is also uh, very alarming, especially uh, taking the cannabis nowadays in Hong Kong. Uh, the statistic is keep rising from the government and also our frontline experience. So what do you think can be done to um, stop this kind of online um, soliciting of, of uh, you know, criminal behaviour? Uh, I think it is a trend uh, nowadays to, to go online. What we have to do, have to do is for the uh, root cause of the issue. Actually, because the child society uh, attracted youth basically because of the, the, the psychological list of our teenagers, they want more uh, to be a self, uh, they want to be more have a, a belongingness and also they, they, they need support from the peers. Actually, we have to do is to uh, address the root cause. I think it is very important. And earlier you mentioned that some uh, kids, maybe as young as 10 years old, they, they admire the triad culture. Mm. Why is that? Have you spoken to any of them? Do you know why? Sure, sure. yeah, because I think for, for some of our cases, because uh, actually the family are very difficult nowadays. They have to uh, work, the parents have to work, and some couple, the relationship are very difficult. Actually, the kids uh, are very uh, weak in their support, and so they are they are easy to go outside uh, to play and hang out with their friends, and they are easy to uh, be uh, 
to be uh, attracted by the, the peers because because they show a lot of uh, uh, support to the child, give a lot of tangible and intangible support to the to the kids. For example, they will ask them to uh, they will give some money for them to to have free meal, and also they will give some jobs even to them. So they, this is very important because the, the for the kids. Uh, they also lack of money to use. Therefore, uh, even when they were young, they know they know in their perception the child societies is just like a friends, a lot some illegal things. You know, Skye, uh, just out of interest, I looked at youth crime figures in, in you mm. know, other areas uh, around South, uh, Southeast Asia. I looked at Australia. Their, their numbers seem to have fallen uh, in, the, in the past few years. In Taiwan, it's fallen. In mainland China, um, as you know, uh, was it last year or the year before? They had some introduced some very strict rules on actually about video games, you know, uh, children's access to online activities. Now, so every, everywhere else, um, they have internet connections as well. It's, it's certainly not universal that cr uh, youth crime rate has gone up. What is unique about Hong Kong? What, what are we not doing? Um, I think one of the, you know, the difficulty in Hong Kong is that our society in general is a, you know, a very um, high-pressured, you know, a very tight-knit sort of environment um, with a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure. I think that's very different from some of the examples that you've cited where, yes, we have internet connectivity, we have um, all of that access, but the difference is that some of those places are a lot more relaxed in terms of the societal culture and the expectations, um, all the way down to how young people have expectations to themselves. What, what you know, kind of expectations? The expectations to achieve, the expectations to be successful um, in a certain way, um, it's very different when you compare it to other countries. Um, and I think that that's actually what is creating Hong Kong to be in a unique place like this. In addition, you know, if you look at some of the drug use um, patterns you know um our drug use patterns isn't because it's a poverty issue it's because we are uh if you look at the you know the background of a lot of these young people you know they they can afford the drugs as well and so it's not just an issue of socioeconomic status um but it's actually a widespread thing that is across the board that is very different when you compare it to other countries where it's usually related to socioeconomic status as well. Um, and I think that one of the things that, you know, um, my colleague here uh, was talking about as well, you know, just really needing to look at the root causes, that's actually quite critical. And that's actually what also makes Hong Kong a bit unique. The fact that, you know, there is a very little um, family support and togetherness causing young people to not feel safe and therefore needing to go to out, out outward sources to find that acknowledgement and importance and worthiness in their life is something that we need to tackle um, within Hong Kong in itself. And that's something that I think that we really need to look at as well. Right. So, so what do you think uh, can be done and what should be done? I mean, the police has launched its own campaign and uh, it's going to distribute uh, 20,000 booklets to schools, which will include tips for parents and teachers on how to educate teenagers and uh, spot warning yeah. signs. And they'll also have like anti-crime videos. Um, how useful do you think uh, this uh, method will be? 
Yeah, so I, I actually think that across all facets of society, we need to be having this message. It's not enough for just the police to be doing that. I think that they need to do what they need to do from their perspective, and I think it's excellent. But I think on other aspects as well, including from the school community or um, within um, family networks, that messaging also needs to take place. So some of the education material, um, or quote-unquote the anti-drug messaging, you know, um, needs to be reframed when it comes from a family setting, you know, um, and it needs to be said in a different way as well. And more importantly, you know, as we were talking about, why and how are young people actually reaching and getting connected is through their peer networks. If you look at the recent drug statistics that the government has come out with, um, most of the people who encountered drugs were actually via friendships, right? And so how do we then, and that's something that Kelly has been doing a lot of, is how do we work with young people to actually positively influence their peers, be there to be their champions, so that those who are more vulnerable will be surrounded by friendships who actually will, will steer them in a more positive direction and be able to help them to identify that some of this is not necessarily a road that they might want to take and that they can, within themselves, can have positive peer networks that will acknowledge and allow them to feel not try it. Yeah, so Mr. Sita, have you, uh, you know, Hong Kong Playgrounds Association, in your outreach program, have you um, thought about new ways to um, approach young people? To mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree with colleagues that actually it is a cross-sector uh, issue. I think, uh, for example, in our agency, we actually, we, uh, in these few years, we address on the cyberbullying issue and we find that uh, everything goes online for the digital literacy is also important. Nowadays, as, as they are, as students were very young, they have to know about what is uh, digital uh, literacy and also how to protect them from uh, cyberbullying. So actually we launch uh, lots of programs in school to collaborate with school social workers and also school teachers to uh, educate teachers and students about this issue. And also for outreaching, actually nowadays not only we go to the, like traditionally we go to the park or go to the playground, actually we, we start some cyber outreaching. We, we start uh, from, we start engaging the teenagers in the, in the apps. Usually nowadays teenagers use dating app to, to meet new friends. So actually social workers also go inside and to engage them uh, to, to, Actually, we found some some of the cases. Actually, they have a lots of leads. For example, they 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 will say they are just experienced. Uh, uh, for example, uh, experimental uh, pregnant, so they actually don't know what to do. And so I think they they they, they teen- teenagers are familiar to seek help in the online world, but not so much. Uh, uh, I mean, so much uh, appropriate. Maybe the uh, professional helping professional. Uh, are in in the online world can support them. So actually, we want to uh, add more support in the online world now. And I think I want to add one more point. Is uh, I think the parents are also very important in this uh, in uh, supporting their youth. Although our cases, uh, the relationship with the parents are very are very bad. Or but I think 
they, if they, if our teenagers have faced a crisis, for example, they are uh, arrested because of some joining child activities. Actually, the parents, uh, if they still, if they can consistent with their love and care to to their children, children actually, it is a very important stage to support the teenagers to uh, to have a go go back to a normal life and to develop a develop into a new life. So I just want to add this point. So, so what advice would you give parents? I mean, uh, what, mm. what sort of warning signs should they watch out for? Okay, actually, for example, uh, I think they have to, the parents, uh, they, they need to uh, explore and familiar what happens in the online world. They can actually, they can learn from outside, but of course they can also learn from their kids what, what is doing in the online world. Actually, the, the kids are easy are welcome to share to, to, to their parents. And I think some uh, size parents can be aware. For example, uh, if, the, if, the, if you can, for some drug issue, maybe more easy to, to tell is, for example, you can find, find uh, your kids. Uh, to suddenly, you do, you, suddenly the kids can buy a lot of uh, very valuable, valuable things and then for example, if someone one night uh, come back and then you smell a very strong smell in uh, from your from your kids, I think it is a very uh, good good sign for you to 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 for parents to remember. Is it to think? Is it what happened for my son? Did I talk with them recently? So I think this is uh, some signs to to pay attention. Yeah, Mr. Sita, yeah. I'm fascinated by this idea that you said that you try to engage your kids through dating apps. Can you mm. tell me a little bit more? Which apps in particular? Are, what, what is happening in these apps? Okay, okay. So, uh, I, I, don't, I think I don't need to name the app because I think it is very easy uh, to, to, if you ask the youth, youth what, what, what apps they use, they use, they use, because they will keep, uh, keep changing a few years ago, a few years uh, the app. So we just ask what they are using, and then we will just uh, sign in a, a account in a, in the app. And then at the first first stage, actually, we will not use people. We do not use a, a identity of a social worker. We just be a normal user. But but if we talk with uh, teenagers and we can uh, know that they have some troubles facing or some distress, so we can sometimes we will just uh, directly. Uh, tell tell them we are social workers. And do you want to talk more with us? And actually, I I think they they are, they are willing to do so because actually they are seeking some some. They are not only seek friends, but they also need seeking some connection and help in the dating app. Yeah. Are the criminals and triads also targeting youth through these apps? Mm, sorry. Uh, are the other triads and mm, criminal mm. groups also targeting young people through these apps, dating oh, sure, apps? Sure, sure, sure. Because because there are lots of purpose and lots of people with different intentions. So we we find that now the triad child society they normally recruit the members or not so obviously recruit, but they will just engage the youth and then to go out in some places and then actually this is. Yeah, just like the, the old ways, they will just yeah give a lots of benefits, something like that. Yeah, a lot of they, they use they, they use the app. Yeah. So. Yeah, Skysu, have you seen that um, recruiting young gang members through dating apps? Um, 
Well, you know, I think that that's something that uh, we have definitely heard um, from young people. But I think it's also not the primary, um, not the only way that we are also seeing that. Um, and I think that, you know, just to add on to, you know, how parents can actually be involved, especially in preventing, you know, um, we do a lot of prevention work um, in Hong Kong. And one of the things that we see is actually parents are not open to learning more about this until it's too late. Um, and I think that that's something that maybe it's an, uh, maybe a, a shift that we can really ask our parents out there in Hong Kong to not wait until it's too late when they suspect something's happening to actually find out more, but to be more proactive, to, to learn about online safety, to actually have these conversations that Mrs. Tito was just talking about earlier. Um, one of the things that, you know, uh, we, we understand it when it comes to, to soliciting through some of these online apps or dating apps or whatever is actually the, the, the idea of consequence and like how the messaging is presented to young people to to get them involved you know and one of the things is you know we always hear is that oh because you're really young you're only 10 you're only 14 you know you're 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 a juvenile so therefore the consequence is not going to be a lot you know but i think that that is a, a myth and parents need to know that this is a way that people are being solicited uh, soliciting their kids and therefore actually have a conversation to, to talk to their kids about what does it mean to have consequences, you know, and how something like this can change not just one or two years of your life, but actually the trajectory of your whole life. So that's something that, you know, we would definitely recommend as well, especially when observing um, a lot of online uh, solicitation and trying to recruit young people to get involved. Right, but where should parents start? I mean, many parents, they, they have to work many hours a day. You know, um, we've seen lots of parents who um, understand that their young people prefer to maybe use online methods to communicate with friends. And we've seen parents also actually use online methods to communicate with their kids, even though they may be sitting in the next room. I think it's about finding those little moments in your day, regardless. I mean, if we have time to WhatsApp a friend to see if they want to catch up for dinner, we definitely have time to WhatsApp our kids to see how they're doing and to start conversations, you know. And I think that, you know, we don't need chunks and chunks of time, but it's actually about identifying those small moments, you know, here and there, and to be consistent and, and intentional about them throughout the day. Um, in order to build up that. Um, and you know what, the, the best thing is, you know, even if you don't know where to start, just start, you know, um, and that already is a first step. Mm -hmm. So we talk about dating apps. What other platforms are there, online platforms are there that these gangs are using to target young people? I mean, there's, I mean, anything that is online, right? There's lots and lots of different social media platforms, you know, even, um, you know, WhatsApp chat groups, you know, uh, right now, not just WhatsApp, but any kind of chat groups, you know, um, that people are just adding lots and lots of members on, you know, um, that that's already any kind of platform to be able to connect. As long as a young person has access to the internet or a mobile phone that can be connected in any kind of chat platform, that already is, you know, um, a, a, a way that, that people are scarring and trying to, to connect to people. Um, and so I, I would say that, you know, this whole concept of, you know, how do we how do we get our young people? It isn't about stopping them from being connected at all um, because, you know, they have to be connected. They have to be connected for school, uh, especially during COVID times. They have to be connected on the Internet. It's about how do we then um, talk to them about when they're connected, what kind of things that they might encounter, what kind of things that they might be worried about when they encounter friends. You know, it's not just bullying. Bullying is definitely one of them, but it's also about talking to strangers online. It's about 
you know, like Mr. Situ was saying, just the whole idea of like internet safety, you know, um, our young people are extremely internet literate, right? But um, having said that, you know, the internet literacy isn't just about how to use the internet, it's how to be understanding of the potential um, challenges that might come around that. And that's where we as a society, whether we're NGOs like us or parents or or mentors, you know, for us to actually step in and to guide our young people through that. And uh, Mr. Sito, earlier you talked about how youth gangs are, are now more hidden and they don't uh, hang out like uh, at basketball courts or, or playgrounds uh, like they used to. Um, in future, I mean, looking ahead, how do you see this trend developing? I think uh, the trend actually is we, we are worried about it because, as Sue also mentioned, that it is there are lots of factors, especially the atmosphere in Hong Kong. I think, uh, actually, what, what our experience, are, our, our target, the teenagers, actually, they may not perform very well in school. They may not engage in school, but actually, all of them have lots of potentials, and actually, they have lots of possibility to develop. But outside school, it is not easy for them to, to connect. That, that's why I think child is usually a very uh, long, long-term long issue because it is always addressed at least in one point. But I think uh, what we are working now for different centers, always we want to address the root cause. That's what I said. We want to just let our teenagers to know that even they are not fail, for example, fail in school, but their life are lost. All right, uh, Mr. Sito, I'm afraid we have to leave it there because uh, we have to take a break for the news. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Sam Sito from the Hong Kong Playground Association. Also many thanks to Sky Sue, the Executive Director of Kelly Support Group. And we'll continue our discussion in around three minutes' time when we'll be joined by Professor Daniel Sheck, a former chairman of the Action Committee Against Narcotics. And a quick look at the weather. Uh, sunny intervals during the day with a top temperature of around 31 degrees. Right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 74%. Some significant breakthroughs by Ukrainian forces near Kharkiv in recent days. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with our guest presenter, Jenny Lam, and me, Janice Wong. If you're just tuning in now, we're talking about youth crime after police figures show a rise in the number of teens caught up in serious drug offences. There's also been an increase in the number of triad-related arrests among local teens. Remember, if you want to ask questions or share your view, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or just give us a call on 23388-266. To continue our discussion, we're now joined on the line by Professor Daniel Sheck, a former chairman of the Action Committee Against Narcotics, who is uh, very experienced in both youth development and crime fighting. Good morning, Professor Sheck. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Before the news, we heard from our other guests that uh, the increased use of social media by youngsters during the pandemic may have contributed to the rise in the number of teens caught up in serious drug offences. What's your opinion of that view? Well, I think um, it is valid um, to some extent because under the pandemic, uh, young people use the internet more. And of course, social media plays a very important role in this. But if we look at the uh, background causes, uh, there are two more 
points I would like to uh, highlight. The first one is under the pandemic, actually, a lot of families, they experience stress. So what does that mean? It means that the parents may not have time and energy to supervise um, their children. So in this sense, uh, the, the uh, uh, children's misbehavior will increase. So that, that is quite an ignored, I must say, uh, or neglected uh, aspect uh, that uh, uh, when we talk about uh, youth crime in Hong Kong or elsewhere in the world. So we have to look at family resilience, the problems uh, faced by uh, the family. And the second point is, okay, if we say that the young people are easily influenced by social media messages, then we have to ask the question uh, why they lack the ability to differentiate correct messages, healthy messages from unhealthy messages. And uh, we have always argued that in Hong Kong, uh, the education on life skills or social-emotional learning uh, is quite weak in a way. So for a lot of kids, they may know how to criticize a lot of things, but they really lack a critical thinking. Why, why would Hong Kong kids be any worse off than children anywhere else? No, I, I, I think uh, back to the second point, actually our education system is very examination-oriented. So, so uh, we've done some studies saying that, uh, in fact, a lot of parents, teachers, and even young people, they uh, say that they want more education on life skills. But in fact, it, it is not provided in, in the school, in the formal curriculum. And then go to the first point, I think uh, the more vulnerable families in Hong Kong, they're under great stress under the pandemic. Yeah, um, I mean, the obvious things that's lacking for, for Hong Kong kids over the pandemic is they've been learning online now for, for two and a half years. I mean, they've gone back now. So basically, they've lost their social life. Um, do you think that has an impact on the, you know, uh, learning how to socialize and therefore differentiate between people who have bad intention and good intention for them? Yeah, absolutely, because I think uh, the, the experience they have... Um, would be basically online. And you know there are different messages um, online uh, in, in the virtual world. So uh, I think we need uh, to step up uh, more education in this area. I think the police is correct in a way, saying that social media may play a role, but I would like to step back uh, to ask the question of why. And as I said, uh, with uh, weakened uh, family ties, and, and weaken parental control, uh, this would uh, make the problem even greater and also the lack of uh, uh, social skills education. Yeah, you, you, you talk about trying to, in, you know, uh, include some of the, the, this kind of um, content in school curriculums, but, but on a day-to-day -day basis, what can schools, what can teachers actually do? Now, if we look at the experience in the West, actually they got uh, designated uh, programs on this. Um, what, what I've just said, social emotional learning. Say if you look at Singapore, actually they got a quite a uh, systematic curriculum on social emotional learning. But in Hong Kong, we are still using the diffusion approach, saying that, uh, okay, teachers can diffuse such education in different subjects, which eventually means eventually you can do, you, you can do very little. So uh, 
this is one thing uh, the government should look at. In fact, if we look at the uh, scientific evidence worldwide, uh, social emotional learning, uh, life skills is a very important strategy to fight uh, substance abuse uh, and youth crime uh, 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 in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were the Action Committee Against Narcotics. So, so in the past few years, have, have there been different kinds of drugs that, that uh, young people are now using? Well, I, I, I was not the chairman for uh, quite a long time. Uh, but when we look at the uh, Central Registry on uh, Drug Abuse uh, Information, um, actually we see that um, the use of cannabis has increased. But if you look at the drug trend among young people in the past few decades, actually uh, there's ups and downs and there are change in the substance abused by young people. Cannabis had been the choice of abuse, uh, I think, more than 10 years ago. Uh, if you look at the trend in rave party, uh, uh, they, they abuse uh, ecstasy. And then uh, later on, uh, roughly a decade ago, uh, young people uh, abuse uh, ketamine, and then now it's uh, changed back to uh, cannabis. So uh, it really depends on the availability of the drugs and how the drug dealers, they market uh, the, the substance. Right. Now, now, go back to just uh, one point you made earlier, uh, Professor Checker. You, you talked about how the school, they should uh, have to uh, include uh, in the curriculum uh, maybe like uh, more more education and life skills. Uh, how useful really do you think that that will be? I mean, earlier yeah, when we talked to... Yeah, it's very useful. If you, as I said, uh, we should be evidence-based. Yeah, I if mean, I just want to ask... Um, like yeah. earlier, when you talked to uh, some social workers earlier on yeah. in the program, they talked about how um, many, many youngsters, they're they attracted to uh, triad gangs because of uh, their psychological needs. I mean, they get uh, real direct support from them. I mean, that's uh, according to a social worker. They get, for example, free meals or more attention. So so how can, uh, um, you know, education in well, school I help? I got a point, and, and in fact, it's not contradictory. So I think for those kids, they really know themselves, they understand themselves, they got uh, good social skills, they will not be so easily attracted by the gang. And also, if uh, the kids, they got family warmth, concern from the parents, they will not be attracted by the gang. So basically, I think the story is uh, in- intrinsically coherent. You know, uh, one thing is... Um Nowadays, for for uh, well, for starters, uh, puberty for young people yeah. is coming yeah. on earlier and earlier. It yeah. used to be maybe fourteen, fifteen. Now it's maybe ten, eleven, yeah. twelve. Yeah. The, and then at the same time, these young minds are bombarded with information on social media. Do you think this mismatch has contributed to um, the 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 vulnerability to uh, turn to yeah, crime? you're you're absolutely correct. <laughs> I think it is a psychological explanation, at least one psychological explanation, of the rise in uh, uh, risk behavior and youth crime. In fact, they mature earlier, and then they uh, got um, in touch with the uh, world earlier. In fact, age 10 would be uh, uh, too late. If you look at the kids now, uh, most of them, they would have a smartphone, and so that they can uh, be connected to any, anywhere in the world. 
So uh, they got a lot of information, and of course, disinformation or misinformation, and then they try to construct uh, what the world is about. So it is why I, I, I say uh, life skills is very important, and of course, one life skill is cognitive competence that you need to differentiate uh, real, correct information from the incorrect and uh, false information. And of course, while you do this, uh, you need to. Uh, control your emotions. Say if you feel bad, you feel stressful, then whether you will um, uh, engage in some uh, risk behavior or really, or you want uh, uh, would like to seek help or uh, you try to solve the problem in a more rational way. Right. I mentioned actually before the news uh, that the police has launched a campaign to uh, tackle youth crime, which includes uh, distributing booklets uh, physically to schools and also online to give uh, parents some tips. And also they will be uh, distributing or um, anti-crime videos. What do you think of these this kind of method? I mean, do they need to, I mean, how useful is it? And uh, do they need to do more? And, and in what, what direction? Well, I, I think... Um such measures are useful, but whether they would have a great effect size in a, a more scientific terms uh, is a question we have to ask. Uh, giving them more information is good. Giving tips to the parents are good. But as I said, if we do not uh, strengthen the social skills, uh, life skills of the kids, and we do not uh, give more support to the families, so that parents, they really have uh, energy and, and strategies to, to uh, communicate with the kids, then eventually what the police do, I think, is just uh, the tip of the iceberg. So uh, I, I, I will not say they are not useful. They, they must be useful. They are useful. But um, I think uh, for the government, uh, maybe we have to think in a, in a uh, much more uh, wider perspective. When you talk about uh, giving support to parents, uh, what kind of support are you talking about? And are you talking about support from the government? Um, yes, uh, the government through the NGO. Now, say, for example, for the, for the uh, low-income families, after roughly three years under the pandemic, in fact, a lot of families, they are quite stressful, uh, both economically and uh, socially. So, uh, in, in a way, uh, of course, for some families, we need dedicated social worker support. And besides that, I think every family has uh, its own strengths and how we can uh, uh, unleash those potential. I always say that uh, for, for the uh, government, not just Hong Kong, but uh, throughout the world, we always say that, okay, we need uh, uh, preventive measures, we have to uh, wash our hands, we have to uh, uh, stay healthy. But we heard very little about how we can uh, promote family resilience, uh, strengthen family cohesion under the pandemic. And in fact, this is very important for uh, uh, the families. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned earlier that you, you think that emotional education programs can be introduced in schools as they have in Singapore. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening in Singapore and what, what do you have in mind? Now, I think there are two programs. The first one is uh, they actually build in uh, the formal curriculum. Say they talk about emotional control, resilience, uh, what happens if you are too stressful, things like that. And other programs they have is... Um, uh, out of classroom, okay? And in fact, there are tons of uh, uh, studies 
uh, more than a few thousand studies conducted in in North America, and and the conclusion is that uh, such programs are saving lives. And in fact, I think we should look at the science more, and, uh, and that is how to promote uh, the inner strength of our kids. In fact, this belief is uh, very uh, consistent with Chinese medicine. If you got inner energy, you will not get sick. And and psychologically speaking. Uh, the same uh, argument applies if our uh, kids, they know how to differentiate the right and wrong, they know how to control their emotion, they are resilient when they face adverse conditions, then it is very unlikely, or at least the chance of getting involved in drugs would, would decrease. All right, uh, we'll have to uh, leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Daniel Sheck, a former chairman of the Action Committee Against Narcotics. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. It's now 17 minutes past nine and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today. And that is about the tragic crane collapse at a construction site in Salmalping yesterday. That's killed three construction workers and injured six others. Investigations are underway into the cause of the accident. But so far, according to the Secretary for Labour and Welfare, Chris Sun, the base of the crane may have been problematic. And the use of similar cranes at the construction site will be suspended. To comment on this latest industrial accident, we're joined by lawmaker Lam Chin Singh from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions. Good morning, Mr. Lam. Yeah, good morning. Hello. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, how rare is the crane collapse we saw yesterday? Um, yes, I think yesterday um, the crane collapsed in the construction site and killed three people and also several people were injured. And the Labor Department already issued a suspension order. But I hope that the Labor Department can inspect all the claims in the construction site in other places. And of course, I also urge the Labor Department to uh, conduct uh, investigation immediately. The, The important thing is that to see whether the employer or the responsible person comply with the law requirement uh, such as uh, doing the test and inspection for the machine and whether they issue a certificate for the machine. Uh, because uh, according to the law, the factory and industrial undertaking, the living here regulation, every claim is required to undergo a regular testing and inspection before operation. And, and the machine should also have a low test to... Uh, to test the loading capacity, and after the test, the inspector is required to uh, complete the uh, certificate, and the machine must be inspected by a qualified person uh, each week, and the weekly claim inspection without report must be completed. So I I think the Labor Labor Department should investigate it to to see uh, whether the employer comply all these law requirements. So the the crane should be checked every week, correct? Uh, yeah. What about the training of the people who operate the crane? How, what what kind of training do they need? How long does it take for them to qualify? And and I I, I think and and 
uh, according to the factory and industrial undertakings, the, the living appliance and the living gear regulation, uh, it says that the setting, the claim, the setting, the claim should be under the supervision of a competent person. And, and after, I, I think uh, the Labor Department should investigate the cases. For example, after the investigation, uh, the Labor Department should decide whether we need to review the regulation. For example, uh, for the competent person, uh, under the regulation, uh, they did not specify whether the competent person needs to receive uh, some training. So uh, they're responsible for the supervision on setting the claim. So it's very important if the competent person uh, do not have enough training, we can impose new requirement in the regulation, I think. So what's the existing require... regulation? What's it, how, how do you become competent? How do, long do you have to train for, for example, construction workers um, at, at a site? Uh, you know, do, do they have to have a certain number of years of experience to, to, to be trained to operate one of these cranes? What are the regulations? And I think the, oper and the operator... Uh, I think the regulation uh, also uh, needs some uh, training for for the operator. Um, um, but I think the competent person is uh, for these cases. Uh, we worry that whether there's a problem in setting the claim. So I think uh, the labor department can have a review and to see whether we we require the competent person to receive the specific training. So do, do they not require specific training right now, are you saying? Uh, because under the regulation, uh, uh, setting the claim should be under the supervision of a competent person. Well, what is but, a competent but, person? But, the, but, the, but the, the, that's the problem. But the regulation uh, uh, do not specific, uh, uh, do not say that clearly that whether the competent person needs uh, what kind of training, but only the owner believes that the bad person uh, is a suitable person and then they become the, the competent person. So I think, I think the Labor Department can, can review it. Right. So, so right now, and I just want to clarify something, Mr. Lam. So right now, the Labor and Welfare uh, Secretary, Chris Sun, uh, he, he says uh, they suspect that the base of the crane had obvious faults. Now, from what you're saying, do you think, I mean, is, is this uh, what you're trying to say, that uh, um, the lack of a competent person in setting the crane may have caused the uh, obvious fault? And, and I think it is the investigation... Uh uh, one of the investigation directions to see uh, whether the competent person uh, they install the claim properly and, and whether they uh, uh, have enough training. If after the inspection we believe that they do not have enough training, then we can impose new requirements uh, in the regulation. And, and the second thing is that uh, I think uh, for the for the uh, for the regulation, um, for the regulation, it also say that after the bad weather or the typhoon, uh, the owner of the machine should uh, check and inspect the claim. 
to see whether it can operate and, and to see whether it can continue to operate or whether it's safe. Uh, as we know, we, we, we have a typhoon uh, two weeks ago. So uh, that's uh, also one of the investigation directions to see whether the owner of the claim or the employer or the responsible person, whether they have checked the claim after the typhoon. Right. I think it's also one of the directions. All right, Mr. Lam, I think we have a caller on the line. It's uh, James. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Hi, uh, hi. Jenny. hi. Hi, James. Yes, do you have a question? Yeah. Well, it's not really a question. It's a point about I'm, I'm investigating the death of a security guard who died at a clinic in Yamate last month. Um, there was a big heavy gate. There was no stopper on the top of the gate. So as it slid out of its housing, it fell on her and crushed her and killed her. And Labor Department put out the usual press release. We are saddened. We are investigating. But this exact thing happened in August 2019 at another uh, location uh, up by the border. And again, then Labour had said, we are saddened, we are investigating, and had put out an advisory saying that all such gates should have stoppers on them and extra stoppers. But obviously that was completely ignored. And now we're calling things like that an accident, when it's not an accident at all. It's predictable, it's preventable. This, this death of this uh, 43-year-old woman in Yamate could completely have been prevented. So my question, I guess, to the lawmakers, what are you going to do to push Labour Department to actually do something rather than just put out a press release saying they are saddened and then skirt around the edges of an investigation, which everyone will then ignore? All right. Uh, thank you uh, for your question. Uh, Mr. Lamb? Uh, yeah, yes, I, I, I also agree that the Labour Department should uh, uh, carry out an uh, investigation immediately. And, and I think now... Uh, apart from the construction site yesterday, and I think the Labor Department should uh, check all the claims in the construction site in other places in Hong Kong, I think to, to, that's very important to ensure the safety operation of all of the claim. I think that that's very important. And, 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 and also that, that after the investigation, I think that the Labor Department can do the investigation as soon as possible and announce to the public that uh, which part of, of, of the process we really need to improve and, and to see whether we need um, uh, any uh, amendment uh, for the regulation to, to for example, the, the qualified person and, and, and the checking process, whether we need to improve, I think. Yeah, you, you, you've nailed a point there, um, Professor Shack, that there doesn't seem to be a definition of what we mean by a competent operator of these cranes. Now, an, another point that you mentioned earlier is that after a, a typhoon or heavy rain, there should be a, a kind of procedure maybe to check. You know, many years ago when I worked as a news reporter, and this was a long time ago, I covered a story of exactly this nature. This was in North Point. A crane like that had collapsed in heavy rain and many people died. I don't know if you remember that. Um, yeah. what, what's going on? You, you mean after 10, 15 years, nothing has changed? What, what happens after a storm to these cranes? Does it, does it change the waiting because of the water? What is it? Yeah, so uh, and, uh, for the typhoon and bad weather situation, uh, we, uh, we, we, we do not see any improvement because the, the, for the regulation, I think it says that clearly that after the typhoon and bad weather, 
and 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 the owner or the employer or or the responsible person should carry out inspection or or, or to check the machine and check the claim whether they can operate uh, safe uh, after typhoon and after bad weather. But but I I don't know in these cases whether uh, the owner of the claim comply with the requirement of the, the regulation and. And I think the Labor Department, what, what, what can Labor Department can do is that after typhoon and bad weather, uh, they can uh, inspect the construction site uh, more and, and to uh, do more uh, publicity and also promote the construction safety even. But the most important time is that after the typhoon to inspect the construction site to, wet, uh, to see whether the the, the employer uh, will comply with the requirement of the law, I think. There are many, many construction sites with this kind of crane all over Hong Kong. I mean, the Labor Department can't possibly go and check every single one of them after a storm. Isn't, doesn't it boil down to the construction companies themselves who should be held responsible? And I think, of course, the inspection is, is very important and, and the inspection is very important, but but now I I understand that uh, the, the the government already has set uh, the occupational safety and health legislation amendment bill, and and we we also hope that we can pass the amendment bill as soon as possible because uh, uh, there's so many uh, fatal industrial accidents, more than 20 cases every year, and and we do not see any improvement and. There is also no sign of going down for the lumber. All right, uh, Mr. Lam, so I'm afraid uh, we have to leave it there. Um, thanks oh. again for joining us this morning. That's uh, lawmaker Lam Chun Singh from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions. Many thanks also to you who emailed or commented today. And of course, to our guest presenter, Jenny Lam and producer Yuki. Now here's the weather, sunny intervals during the day with highs of around 31 degrees, winds moderate to fresh, fresh easterlies. Occasionally strong offshore to start with, and uh, right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 71%. The Chunmun to Ma On Chan cycle track backbone section is now fully open. When you cycle, follow traffic rules. Be aware of traffic. Do not ride on footpaths. Follow the signs. Dismount and push your bike across roads. Give way to other road users. Slow down and